All right. I want you to notice the first two verses of Galatians chapter 4. It says, verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, deferreth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Now, when God, when Paul is using this illustration here, he's using it to teach a spiritual truth. All right, but I want you to notice something he said there because this kind of gives us a little look into the culture uh, that they had back then and how things work. But he mentions how a son is really no different than a servant at first, even though he is lord of all so in other words if you live back in those days and maybe you had a father who was rich and he had a lot of land and he had a great inheritance you know the son would often have to work right along with the servants and basically get treated like a servant until the time there would finally come a time that was decided by the father when he would basically turn that inheritance over his son and then the son now even though technically he's lord over all of it now he's actually going to kind of take control, take authority. It'd be kind of like today if a man had a business, you could say, if he maybe owned some company, maybe had a plumbing business, and his son, he had him kind of working as a laborer. He might have him working all the different jobs, knowing one day I'm going to turn this business over to my son, and he needs to know how it works. But in the meantime, I'm going to have him work every job. I'm going to make him make sure he knows what it's like. But one of the, it's with the goal that one of these days, when I think he's ready, I'm going to turn this over to him, okay? And so the title of my message tonight is Raising Young Men. I want to teach about raising young men. Now, I could call this raising teenagers, uh, raising teenage boys specifically. I'm going to cover girls next week. But I wanted to call this Raising Young Men because the very title teenager, I'm afraid, is sending a wrong message that's causing us to kind of mess up some things and get some things wrong when it comes to parenting young men, something that we need to realize, I'm gonna, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but often your boys who are technically teenagers, because technically if you're 19, you're a teenager, right? But the thing is, even though your age is in the teens, we need to understand that these are often grown men that we have in our houses. They are not children anymore. Physically, they are grown men, and there's some things to take into consideration there. So uh, I want to start this off by saying, you know, I will, you know, I will never be able to do anything to stop the mouths of the young know-it-all parents. We'll never be able to do that. I'm not even going to try. But I will say that I have never and I will never be influenced by their advice. Okay? I won't. And you have – the truth is people like to have no idea what they are up against when it comes to leading a home until you have young adults living in it. We've got a lot of people out there. We've got a lot of dads out there just proclaiming how hardcore they are and how strict they are and how they're going to rule their house with a rod of iron. They're the head of the home. But at the same time, it's pretty easy to do when you have two-year-olds that don't know how to argue with you. What are you going to do when one of these days you've got a grown men in your house? Congratulations, you can control a two-year-old. Let me see you control a grown man. Then sometimes might even be stronger than you. Okay? My boys aren't there yet. All right? But <laughs> getting close. You know, Tommy's taller than me. But, uh, you know, might even be smarter sometimes, but not wiser. All right? I'll always, I'll, I'll always be older. I'll always be older. Now, and the truth, every teenager thinks they're smarter than their parents. 
That, that's just that's just a phase that we, all of them go through. They all think they're smarter than their parents, and often too, you know, they one of the challenges too. I mean, they learn how to argue. You know, your two-year-old, you're going to win that argument every time. Even when Tommy was like two and three years old, he used to put up some pretty good arguments, and we would like get caught up in these arguments with him. He'd just be like going back and forth. So we'd be like, I mean, we're like, you know, making our case. And finally, we just like, what are we doing arguing? Dude, you're three. You're getting a spanking. You know, <laughs> just, you know he, he really knew how to, I mean, he, yeah, you know, he, he, he was, he was a monster. I mean, he, and he did. He knew how to argue at a young age. It was pretty impressive. But it was, unfortunately, it was our problem. So we didn't really get to enjoy it. I, I would have enjoyed it if it was somebody else's kid <laughs> doing that. But. Anyway, you know, I'm currently at a stage in my life right now, and you need to take this into consideration where, you know, when you're, you know, take this into consideration when listening to what I'm going to say is that, you know, I am, you know, I haven't, you know, I haven't produced any finished products yet. You know, I'm like right in, I'm right, right in this right now and raising young men. So I don't have any finished products to show you and you ought to take that into consideration. Just like when the young punks are running their mouth, take into consideration they have literally nothing to show for what they've done. But I will say that, you know, you know, just because I'm an ordained pastor, it does not mean I have been downloaded with all the information when it comes to raising kids. Okay? Obviously, a lot of, you know, you know what I tell you is based on my experience. But I will say, you know, what I'm going to preach tonight, you know, it is based on what I see in the Bible. And it is based on what I've experienced being in the ministry. So, you know, I currently have two young men in my home and I also have, you know, eight years of experience as a pastor. I've also had 10 years of experience as an assistant pastor. And six of those years, I was a youth director and I was in one church for 23 years. I got to watch an entire generation. I've been to the weddings of the, you know, I've, I've been to weddings of two generations in many cases. Uh, I know many kids that have uh, had children, and I remember going to the hospital with my dad to visit them when they were born in the hospital. You know, I was, I was in one place long enough to do stuff like that. So those things should be taken into consideration. I do think I should be allowed to speak on this subject based on those things. But I'm not going to tell you that, you know, I've got just like this proven track record because I'm like in the midst of it doing it myself now. Okay, but I have seen a few things, and I think I can uh, give you a good idea of what works. So I also was a school administrator for six years, so I've been around a lot of kids. I've, I've, I've watched a lot of kids go from the teenage years to the adult. I've seen that. And one thing that I've noticed, too, it seems like in this movement there is kind of a missing age demographic quite often. And it's, that, it's, it's families with older teenagers. There, that's often a missing group. You know, there's exceptions. You know, we, you know, the, you know, we've got exceptions here. But often that age from like 15, 16, you know, to 19, 20, you, that's not there. Now, a lot of churches, too, they'll have guys that are 20, 21. We've got these guys here. But these are guys that kind of learned this type of teaching on their own. And often their parents are not even doing this. They just learned it on their own. So let me, it is easy, I think, to teach your kids, you know, to be strict and be all hardcore when they're little, but it is more challenging when they get older. And there's a reason that there's not a lot of families just jumping on board with our kind of church and with our kind of preaching who have older teenage kids. And that's because it is, you have to 
be more solid. You got to be more. I mean, you know, a lot of people I think are just trying this out. You know, they're they're just trying this movement out. You know, it's not really internalized inside them, and it's got to be real if you're going to win over teenagers. That, that's all. That's all there is to it. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons why we kind of see this missing demographic. And I do believe that the most difficult time for raising kids is in the young adult years. And so when I talk about young people or the young adult years, I'm not talking about 18 and older. Okay. I don't know who came up with 18 as the adult and that's fine. You know, you got to set a standard somewhere when it comes to laws and things like that. But we would all be foolish to think that all 18 year olds are on an equal level when it comes to maturity. Okay. And then, you know, and in the new IFB world, everybody wants a rule. Right. Everybody wants a everybody wants a written number. And a lot of the things I'm going to be preaching tonight, you know, like when it comes to certain things, everybody's going to want an age. You know, at what age can my son date? You know, at what age can you do this? There is no age. You cannot just set an age because everyone's different. And that's why here in Galatians chapter four in verse two, it mentions, but is under tutors and governors. Look at this until the time appointed of the father. Okay? It's up to the father to decide when their son is ready to go and get a job. Is every 16-year-old ready to go out and get a job? Probably not. But there's probably some that are 14 and are ready to go out and get a job. Or is everyone who is 18 ready to get married? No, a lot of people are far from ready to get married at 18. But some are. You know, It's, it, it's really up to the father to decide on these things. And so I want to give you some... Uh, you know, biblical guidance on what you can do to help your boys become successful adults. And this is about raising young adults. And, I, and I'm talking, like I said, 14, 15 up. They're pretty much young adults at that point. And if you think about them that way, I think it's going to help you. So first thing you need to do is you need to realize manhood does not start at 18. It doesn't start at 18. Don't just sit there and think of your kid that's in your house as being a kid just because he's a teenager. Because he has that, you know, he has that teen in his age number, okay? Often these, these people that you have in your house that are eating you out of house and home, all right, they are, in fact, grown men in many ways. Physically speaking, they are, they are grown men and... You know, the son, he doesn't become an heir at a specific age, we see, but there is an appointed time that the father has to decide. Now, that mindset back then, it would have naturally caused the father to prepare his son for whatever he was going to inherit. Okay? Depending on what that father wanted to turn over to his son, everything he did in raising that son would be the mindset, one of these days, he's going to be running this farm, or one of these days, he's going to be running this business. He's going to be doing all these things with a clear goal in mind, with a, with a target in mind, knowing I've got to you know, try to instill certain character traits in my son. I've got to get him ready for these things. That would have been the mindset back then. But here's the thing with us today. What are we preparing our sons for? You know, what are we doing when it comes to these young men that are home? What are we preparing them for? When you're raising your kids, the things you do in their life, whatever, whatever it is, what are you preparing them for? You need to think about that. What kind of, you know, job? You, you need to figure out what their, where their interests are. You need to find out what kind of job they might want to have. 
You need to train them to be a hard worker. You know, if you've got a smart kid, you know, use that so he can get a job for smart people and make a lot of money where he doesn't have to work real hard. If you've got a dumb kid, train him how to work really, really hard. Because, you know what, in, in our country today, thankfully, you can be an idiot. And if you're a hard worker, you'll, be, you'll do just fine. And, that, and you know, I, I've never been the smartest person in the room. But at the same time, you know, my dad taught me to be a hard worker. And I've always been able to survive and pay my bills. I've had to work really hard to do it sometimes. And let me tell you, I've worked many jobs where it's like, I wish I'd have studied a little harder in school. You know, I wish I'd have been a little smarter. But either way, as a father, you know your child and you better you better prepare him for something. You better get him ready for something. That needs to be your mindset. And just forgotten facts about young men is one, they need guidance. They, they need guidance. They have not lived life yet, and it is your job to prepare them for what's to come. They don't know what they're up against when it comes to getting a job, being out in the world. They don't know what's out there. You know, when, you know my, I, I've had to help both my boys fill out W-4s, and they're like, Dad, what do I even do with this? You know, I mean, they have no idea. I remember when I first got a job at the distribution center in Spring Valley, they gave me this thing, you know, for a... To fill out to do the 401k. I'm like, what's a 401k? <laughs> I, I didn't know what it was. And it had like all these options on there. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? You know, and I was too embarrassed to ask my dad about it because, you know, I was an adult. I just got married. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I wanted to look independent. So we talked to this guy that we knew was involved in investing and everything. I was going to have him help me. He's like, yeah, I'll help you. So we invited him over for dinner. He came over to dinner. And you know what that guy did? He signed me up for a whole life insurance policy. He says it's way better than your 401k. It's like, okay, I signed up for that 401 or that whole life insurance policy, not having any idea what whole life insurance was. He told me it was a good way to save for retirement. And I remember I told my dad about it. And he was like, you did what? <laughs> and I was just like, he's like, can you get out of it? I'm like, I don't know. He said, I've got like 30 days of changing my mind. He's like, call him and change your mind. You do not want to do that. And I'm like, and, and, he did, and he kind of explained to me why, and I didn't get it. Later, I read a book, you know, read, read Dave Ramsey's book, a little plug there, you know, and then I learned whole life policies are stupid. You know, and I was just like, but, you know, I, I just, I had no idea. I wasn't prepared for these things. I had no idea when it came to, you know, just paying bills, when it came to, you know, budgeting. I didn't know about any of that stuff. And unfortunately, I wasn't probably as prepared as I should have been for some of those things. But thankfully, the one thing my dad did do was instill character, teach me to work hard, and you pay your bills on time. And because I knew I've got to pay my bills on time, I did make sure I did that. And that kept me from doing a lot of stupid stuff. You know, while there was a lot of other dumb stuff I did that I kind of wish I'd have been prepared for, you know, just that having that character to work hard and pay your bills in time, it kept me from doing a lot of dumb stuff where I'm like, well, you know, if I sign up for this credit card, you know, and I go run, max it out, I'm probably not going to be able to pay these bills. And I'm a bad person if I don't pay my bills. So, you know, th those kind of things, those kind of things help me. But, you know, your sons, they need guidance. They don't know how to go and apply for a job when they're, when they're 15, 16. They, they don't know. They've never done that before. In fact, chances are at 15 and 16, living at home, you stuff in their face every day, you know, them being provided with all the comforts of life like video games and Xbox and all those things. Why in the world would they want to go out and try to find a job? 
You've got to teach them this is what you've got to do. This is what men do. They go out and they work. And you know what? Sometimes the jobs you work stinks. Sometimes you've got to work hard. So it's, it's not a lot of fun. You've got to put up with idiots. Sometimes you've got to work jobs that don't pay very much. But you know, this is just an entry-level job. It's something you've got to do to you know, prove yourself so you can go get the better job someday. Your boys just aren't going to naturally do that. Your boys aren't just going to naturally come up to you one day and say, Dad, you know, I just really feel led of the Holy Spirit to go out and get a job and to go work hard. You know, they're, they're not going to do that. I sure didn't do it when I was that age. My dad just one day said, hey, you're getting a job. And he took me to McDonald's and dropped me off there. And he knew the manager. She had me fill out an application right there, interviewed me right there. Boom, I had a job just like that. I didn't even know what happened. I'm like, he did. He just came home, picked me up, took me to McDonald's. And, I, and then he told me, and you know what? You're not going to be a quitter on your job. You're not going to be job hopping. I wanted to quit after the first week. I hated that job. Somebody made fun of me for being a church boy. Yeah, I wanted to quit because of the religious persecution I was under, you know. <laughs> and, but, you know, my dad's like, you can't do that. I'll, I'll give it three months, you know. And then, you know, I, I, it was just, you know, uh, thankfully, but, you know, he, he pushed me, gave me, gave me some guidance. Then, you know, I ended up, after I uh, graduated high school, I got another job. Make it eight dollars an hour, and I was pretty happy with it. I was making when when me and my wife got engaged, I was making eight dollars an hour. Or when when we started, it was right before we got engaged. It was when we started seeing each other. I was making eight dollars an hour, but I was doing great, man. I had so much money. I took a trip to Israel. You know, when you when you're living at home, eight dollars an hour will work. Right? It does it does pretty good. But then. All of a sudden, I'm expressing interest in Cassandra. My dad's like, well, you're going to need to make more than $8 an hour. Really? So I started, I had to look for a better job. And I ended up getting a better job. So I could, still couldn't afford it. But, but I was doing better. I was making close, I was making like, I was making $12 an hour when we got married, which is a lot better than 8 But at the same time, if it hadn't been for my dad just kicking me in the rear sometime and saying, you know, you need to do some of these things, I wanted to know. I had gotten married making $8 an hour, you know, just, and then been in for a big shock when all of a sudden I'm paying bills and paying for all her hair care supplies and all those things, you know, and I'll never forget the first time we went to Walmart. She's just like buying all this stuff. I'm, I'm just like, I can't, I can't afford all this stuff. And she, you know, and her family had money. She wasn't used to, you know, being poor and stuff like that. You know, now she's used to it, but it, it was, it was a, it was a culture shock for her. But man, I, you know, you've got you've got to prep your boys for these things. You know, my you know, my boys, they're you know, they're at that age, they're you know, they're interested in women. They want to have a wife someday. You got to let them know they're expensive. They're worth it, but they're expensive. Totally worth it. But they're you you know, you you got to prep them, and they need that guidance. They you know, they may be a teenager, but physically they are a man. And while not every son matures at the same pace, it is up to the father to recognize when these times come, and you better give them some guidance. Some kids at 16, 17 are not, are not real mature, and it doesn't mean they're bad. It's just, you know, they're, they're very young, innocent, don't, re- don't really care. But either way, you've got to be paying attention to what's going on. And a lot of times, you've got young men sitting at home and... 
their parents are just thinking, you know, they're going to be fine just playing video games, watching TV. No, you've got a grown man in that house. He need, we, we were made to be working. We were made to be sweating. We were made to be with women. And they're going to have these desires, and they're going to get real ornery. You know, they're going to have all kinds of issues. And dads, you ought to be able to recognize what's going on. And you better be able to give some guidance and prep them for this. You know, it doesn't work having too many men living in the same household. Men, we are natural leaders. We are naturally independent. And when you have a bunch of men living in the same home, heads are going to butt sometimes. Why is that? You know why? Because it's God's will for that man to leave father and mother. But it's when they cleave unto their wife. And if you just think you're just going to leave them in that home and everything's going to be fine and they're just going to keep wanting to submit to you like when they were five, you've got another thing coming. And whenever those times, and they're growing up and they're showing, you know, these desires to do what men do, you better help them do it. And you better give them the guidance they need. Otherwise, they're going to get frustrated. They're just going to walk out one of these days and then they're going to do what all the guys out in the world are doing when it comes to females. And that's the last thing you want. That'll ruin their life. So you better, you better be paying attention. You better give some guidance. You better, have, you better have a plan. We were not created to be sitting around playing video games. Go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. I could preach a whole message just on some of these points that I'm covering right here. But I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna cover it quick tonight. But in Genesis 2.15 it says, The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He gave him a job to do. This is before the curse. He gave him a job to do. He gave him work to do. Okay? Every man that's in here today, what do you think would happen to you emotionally if you just didn't have a job? Even if you didn't have bills. We were not made to sit around and do nothing. That is not how we were made. And it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. I like how God talked about the work he was going to do before he talked about the food he was going to eat. You You ought to work if you're going to eat. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Why would it be any different for the young men that are in your home? Oh, they got their brothers and sisters. That's not what he's talking about right there. Okay? It's not good for man to be alone. And when they do, when they start becoming a man, you know, they're going to, and I was there, man, you, you start getting really annoyed by your brothers and sisters. You know, and you do, man, I, uh, you know, and I'm, I never loved my sisters more than when I moved out. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's like the best thing you can ever do for your sibling relationships a lot of time. So the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every little living creature, that was the name thereof. Now, why did God bring Adam animals? Did God think that was going to be companionship for him? Absolutely not. You know what? Adam had a job before he had a wife. God gave Adam some things to do before he had a wife. And your boys, while they may be full-grown men, you know, before they get a wife, they need to go do some work. They need to go accomplish something. They need to do something with themselves. They need to go make some money. They need to go do something to show some independence. You know, go buy a house, whatever. They need to do those things before they get the wife. And after he did all that, 
then God ends up making the woman. And notice how God took a rib from Adam. You know what? Your young men are going to have to learn how to lose something. Adam lost a rib before he got a wife. And listen, if you're not willing to sacrifice anything, you're not ready for a wife. You better be ready to give up some things. You better, you're going to give up a lot when you get a wife. Once again, they're worth it. But you're going to give up some things. You're going to lose that independence. Now you're going to have a dependent. Someone that's dependent on you. Someone that's counting on you. Your decisions no longer affect just you. They now affect you and your wife. And you better prove yourself a man. You better do something first. And you got it's, it's pathetic. You know, it is pathetic. These young men that are out there today, teenagers, high schoolers, going around, sleeping around with girls, fooling around with girls, one that they're not married to, but two, before they've ever done anything, never accomplished anything. They've never had a job. They don't know how to work. And yet they're getting the pleasure of a woman that is so backwards, that is so wrong. They have no right to that. They do not deserve that. And it's, yes, it's natural that they would want that. But you know what? It's also natural that we would want to eat, but you ought to work before you eat. And it's natural that you'd want a woman, but you ought to accomplish something in your life before you get a woman. So you know what? You need to, if, if your boys are expressing interest in girls at a young age then you better prep them to accomplish some things. You better get them started working early. You better teach them how to work hard at a young age. You better, you better teach them these things young, get them ready young, because they're, they're going to want that. They're, they're going to want that, but they've got to be ready for it. There's some things that come before that. And I don't believe God's changed his plan. I think we see a, we see a pattern there. But so you need to understand that manhood does not start at 18. It doesn't start at 21. You often have, sometimes it's maybe a little later. Sometimes it's earlier. But dads, you better be watching. You better be paying attention to your boys. And you better get them ready. You better. And so when they get interested in girls young, that can be challenging because of the fact that, you know, you got to make them wait longer. But it's also a good motivator to get them to get off the rear and do something. You know, girls are great motivators. Every young man needs a motivator. For some, it's money, you know. That's a good motivator if that's what it takes. But often, often it, it's the females. You know, Tommy, he's like girls ever since he watched Scooby-Doo at like five years old and fell in love with Daphne. You know, he's the, I mean, that's just uh, that, that's just how it's been. You know, I was never real worried about that. You know, I was just I was glad I found out at a young age. Well, he's not a homo. Amen. You know, that, that, that was the way I felt about it. And, you know, listen, I've seen parents they get all freaked out when their teenage boys are interested in girls. Why? Okay, now there's a problem if he's going around, messing with them, touching them. But you're, it's pretty normal if they express an interest. And you know what you just need to teach your boys? You want that? Well, here's how you get it. That's, that, that's, all, that's all there is to it. They're going to want it. Help them get it. All right? That's just, you know, that, that's, all, that's all there is to it. So the second thing you need to understand, too, is if your son isn't ready for a wife, he isn't ready for a girlfriend. Okay? Now, I don't, you know, honestly, this is an area where if people want to disagree with me, that's fine. I don't care. I'm right. Okay? <laughs> I, I, I have no doubt that I am right on this. And I will practice this until the day I die. 
We, we've done this with our kids, and this type of thing is not popular. But, folks, the, I believe it's biblical. I just believe it's common sense. Now, once again, nobody come up to me after church and say, at what age can my son have a girlfriend, according to you? That's, that's stupid. I, you don't put a number on that, all right? Knock it off. Knock it off with your checklist. Knock it off with your stupid numbers. Knock it off with your rules. I'm not going to create a number in this church or for my family when they're ready. I'm not going to tell my son, when you turn this age, then you can go get a girlfriend. It might be different for, from, from you know, son to son. There's, there's a lot of things. But let's look at a few, a few things from the scriptures to help with this. So first off, we know in Genesis 2, it talks about, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. May twain shall be one flesh. Okay? That's the cause. That's why you leave your father and mother. You're going to go start your own family. You're going to go be joined unto your wife. Okay? That is as natural as anything for a young man to want that with a woman and to be with them and to start a family. That is normal. That is a wonderful thing. But understand that when it comes to that physical relationship that every man is going to desire, no man should fulfill that desire until it is with a wife. And the Bible's very clear about that. But let's look but let's look what it says in First Corinthians chapter six. So, you know, at what age can they date? Well, let me ask you, why in the world would you, you know, want your son, your your grown your 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 young man to date a girl that he is years away from sleeping with? Why would you because look what the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter six. In verse 18, it says, flee fornication. Okay, that means run. Run away. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So the Bible tells us we're supposed to flee fornication. Now, what in the world do you think your, your young man is going to be tempted to do when he is with another young lady? Well, you know, we'll chaperone it, we'll supervise it. Listen, you can only do that for so long. The longest six months of my life was when my wife and I were engaged with each other, and I never hated my parents more, I never hated my sisters more. A lot of times they have our sisters watch us. I mean, you want to talk about just a frustrating time. Longest six months of my life. And, you know, and I'm thankful for that. I think it's good to have that. It teaches you some self-control. You, you know, during that time where you're dating and where you're engaged, you know, it, it, you prove to yourself, I can behave myself. You prove to your spouse that you can behave yourself. It's good training because when it comes to behaving ourselves, we're supposed to behave ourselves the rest of our life. Now, I think it's easier when you're married. But at the same time, there's often temptations that come even for married people. And so that time of misery where you're just you know dating and can't physically be with each other, I do think that is that is good training time. But boy, I don't think we want to overdo it, folks. This you know year long, two year long engagement stuff is just stupid. That is so foolish. It makes no sense. You know, and I'm not I'm not creating a rule saying you can't be engaged for more than a year. Don't sometimes there's reasons for a long engagement. Okay, if your girl you're dating lives on the other side of the country, well, you might be able to make that last longer. If she's living in the same town as you, that's probably not going to work out very well. There's a lot of things you got to factor in. And parents, you need to, you need to help out in this thing. 
you know, you need, you need to pay attention. And I'm just going to tell you right now, young men, okay, they go through the brain dead stage at the junior high years. I, that, just lock them up in their room during the junior high years. Feed them bread and water. Don't let them out. You know, they learn nothing. They're good for nothing. That is the worst stage in the world. But then they kind of snap out of it. They mature a little bit. Their brain starts functioning again. And then they find a girl. And then they go back even dumber than ever before. Okay? Why is it that hunters like hunting during the rut season? What is the rut season? That's when they're going for the doe. And when the bucks are going for the doe, they're not real smart. And that's when you get a chance to kill them. And I'm telling you, a boy in hot pursuit of a girl is an idiot. All right? It's just, if, oh, you know, I'm not picking on him. It's just, it's called nature. But folks, they're dumber than a box of rocks. You, you can't teach them anything. You can't reason with them. And, you know, and I, you know, I, I got to be careful how I talk about these things. But listen, that young man that's around that young girl, there's chemistry there that will dumb you down more than Pa ever thought about dumbing anybody down. You don't think straight. You're going to think things are okay that are not okay. It's just your brain does not work when you're in that situation. Now, some, it's like some people don't know this. A lot of young people, a lot of men, they did whatever they wanted when they were a teenager. Some of us did things the right way. We did it the hard way. And I believe it. We, you know, the way I did it ultimately makes everything better. But it's hard. Okay? It is, it is a challenge. It's worth it. But I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm thankful for the prison dating that we did. I think that's probably a good thing to call it. You know, the supervised visits, you know, the buzzing in the room and all that kind of, you know, it didn't quite go that far, but it was, it was pretty close. You know, I'm thankful for that. It's a good thing that my you know, mother-in-law was able to tell me when to go home. Well, I can't imagine that right now. You know, I'm glad my mother-in-law can't tell me when to go home. You know, I, I'm, very, I'm very thankful for those things. But listen, your young men, they are going to literally lose their mind when they find that female. And you better help them out. The Bible says flee fornication. Why would you put them in that situation when, they're, when you would say as a father they're years from being ready to get married? My 15-year-old is far from being ready to get married, but yet you're going to let him date a girl? What, what are you thinking? Look what, and let's, go, let's keep reading in uh, 1 Corinthians 8. So in 1 Corinthians or in chapter 7, in verse 6, at the end of verse 6, he says, flee fornication. And then when we go into chapter 7, he's kind of continuing the thought. He said, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. How do we avoid fornication? It's real clear here. Let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. You know how we keep fornicating? You get married. And if we're supposed to flee fornication, why would you put your young men and your young women in a situation where they are going to be tempted to fornicate for years? Eventually, they're going to give in. 
eventually they're going to do things they shouldn't do. They're going to end up doing things that they regret because you don't think straight when you're in that situation. And folks, if you ever did it right, you were there at one time. You know what it's like. You don't think straight in that situation. And you do not put your kids in a situation where they're going to be tempted to fornicate for years when the Bible says to flee fornication. And when the Bible says to avoid fornication, you know, just have extra chaperone, have video cameras, you know, do surveillance. It doesn't say that. No, it says let every man have his own wife. So until they are ready to have a wife or at least really close, don't let them date. That is the dumbest thing in the world. And I can preach about, and I probably should preach a message soon on dating. I don't care what this world does. You shouldn't let your kids just go. And when I talk about dating, you shouldn't let them go alone just doing their own thing. It ought to be supervised. You ought to be all over it as parents, like ugly on an ape. And your kids are going to hate you more than ever during that time. But you know what? If you, if, if you do it, eventually they'll love you more than ever for doing it that way. They're going to really be thankful. Your daughter is going to be really thankful that you chaperoned everything and that you kept an eye on her and you kept her from fornicating. And after she gets to know that guy and he turns out to be a bum, she's going to thank God and she's going to thank you that you didn't let her get in a situation where she might have given into temptation and ended up getting pregnant by this guy that was a bum and that would have ruined her life. You better believe she's going to thank you for it one of these days. Even if they do end up getting married, they're going to thank you for it one of these days. Either way, I have no regrets. I have never at any point in my life kicked myself for not fornicating with my wife before we got married. Never. I've never one time, but yet everyone regrets all the stupid stuff that they did before they got married. So why in the world would you put them in those tempting situations? Well, how do they get, how do they get, get to know each other? They, it's not that hard. Okay? Listen, let them go to the restaurant. You can just sit on a table on the other side of the room where you kind of keep an eye on them. You know? Just, you know, say, well, that's, man, that sounds really Nazi spy-ish, you know. Oh, well. It works. And, I, and I'm thankful for it. So, well, they, they ought to be able to control themselves. Yeah, they should be able to control themselves. But the Bible says flee fornication. You know, if I'm, gonna go, if I'm going out and I'm walking down the street at night and all of a sudden some guy's pursuing me in a dark alley, you know, what's the smarter thing to do? See if I can face him or run. I probably should run. Uh, you're just a coward and a wimp. You should, you should be able to beat him up. Well, I probably should. Maybe I can, but I might not be able to either. So, you know, what? I'm going to run. And, you know, you ought to be able to handle yourself in a compromising situation and under temptation. But the chances are we typically give in. Listen, some of you all, you start a diet every week on Sunday and you fail on Monday. You can't even say no to the cupcake in the cabinet at home. And you think you're going to say no to the, you know, the girl that's, that's tempting you. We know that when it comes right down to it, we usually give in to the flesh. And so why in the world would you do that? That is, Folks, I just don't understand that. I'll never understand that. Teenage dating is one of the dumbest things that you can do to your kids. It puts a pressure on them that they don't need. Your 15, 16, 17-year-old boys and girls, they don't need to be worried about having a boyfriend and a girlfriend right now. We don't want to create a culture in this church where you're a loser if you're 16 years old and you don't have a girlfriend yet. They don't need one. What's it going to accomplish for them? What are, what are they going to get from it? 
Unless they're ready to get married at 16, they're going to get nothing from it but a bunch of drama, a bunch of heartache, a bunch of temptation. And that you need you need to stay away from that. These relations, they're, they're not going to work out. Yeah, some people marry their childhood sweetheart. Most people don't. It's just a lot of unnecessary temptation. Don't do that. You know, we're told we're not told to stand up or to or face youthful lust. In Second Timothy two twenty two, you know, he said he said to flee youthful lust. Why did he bring up youthful lust? There's some things young people struggle with. Really bad. We ought to know what those things are. We were young at one time. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Notice Joseph. Joseph didn't stand up to Potiphar's wife. You know what he did? He ran from her. He ran. And that's, that's what you need to do. You need to teach your kids to flee that kind of stuff. So... Next thing I want you to notice is turn Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. I think this is an important thing, too. You need, you need to get this down. So first off, raising successful young men, it starts when they are very young boys. Now, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, notice what it says. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes, which means early. Okay? Now, why does the Bible specify spanking early? Now, I hope you all get this, okay? Let's just think about this. Let's use a little bit of common sense. All right, let's let's use some common sense. Let's use what the Bible says. The Bible says to spank him early, right? Now, why do we spank him early? Why shouldn't we just reason with with our young boys? Okay, well, you know, try reasoning with the two year old, okay? You know, we see Zeke running around right now. He's not a year old running around. He's trying to dive down the stairs. I mean, the, you know, at that age, they're trying to kill themselves all the time. Okay, it's 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 a challenging age. Okay, you know, you know, brother Chris is not going to sit down with Zeke and just like, all right, Zeke, here's why you can't run around the stairs. You can fall down. You can break your neck. You know, you'd have to go to the hospital. You know, Zeke's just going to look at him. He's going to take off running. But you know what? One thing that they can learn, you know, they understand, they understand pain at a young age. They understand that deep voice. And here's the thing, too, with little kids. You barely have, you barely have to spank them. Okay? With Kelly, I can be playing with her. I can just pat her on the rear a little bit, and she's fine. But if I say no and pat her on the rear the same way, I mean, she has a meltdown. You know, she, she has an absolute meltdown. Like, I just beat the, beat the daylights out of her. And the truth is, spanking, now, now get this. Spanking is for them when they're young. Now, don't ask me, at what age can I stop spanking my kids? Okay? Y'all know how I am about this kind of stuff. I, I'm not about to give you an age when you can, stop, you can stop spanking. Okay? But let me show you a few things about spanking. Notice one of the purposes of spanking. It says in Proverbs 22:15, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. The reason you're spanking your child is because you're trying to drive the foolishness out of him. It's foolish for kids to just go running off steps and falling down steps and running out in traffic and doing all the dumb things that little kids try to do. And spanking helps drive that out of them. Okay? And so you're trying to get rid of that foolishness. Now, here's the thing. In the Bible, we see some examples of some pretty extreme punishment. And you know who it's mentioned for? It's mentioned for fools. Look what it says in Proverbs 26, verse 3. It says, A whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, 
and a rod for the fool's back. Okay? Now, we obviously do not believe in spanking our kids with a rod in the back. Okay? That, is, that is not spanking. But yet, did they not beat people with rods, often as a punishment? Who was it? It was the fool. Okay? It was the fool that they would beat with, that would beat with the rod. See, proper spanking, it should serve its purpose before they become a young adult. Okay? Now, this is going to, once again, it's going to vary from individual to individual. Spanking your adult is only necessary if you've raised a fool. Okay? Now, you might have a fool in the home, and you know what? Fools need beat. But the thing is, you know, the older they get, the worse that beating's going to have to be. I don't really want to be leaving stripes, and I don't want to really be taking a rod to, to the back of my son. And I think I never need to do that. But listen, blueness and stripes are for the fools. I often hear people use this one for spanking. In Proverbs 20, 30, the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil, so do stripes the inward parts of the belly. And people use that for kids. You know, you got to make them black and blue, all that kind of stuff. Because blueness of the wound. Well, what about the stripes there? Are we supposed to leave stripes on them too? Who are the stripes for? Well, Proverbs 10, 13 says, The lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, 1. We read this verse this morning. If, if there be any controversy between men and they come into judgment, that the judges may judge them and they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. And it shall be if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten before his face according to his fault by a certain number. Forty stripes he may give him and not exceed, lest if he should exceed and beat him above these with many stripes, then thy brother should seem vile unto thee. This is not talking about kids. This is talking about men here. Young men who are fools, they would leave stripes. This was a form of punishment that the government administered on people. Proverbs 17.10 says, reproof, A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. If you've, if you've spanked your children at a young age and you've driven that foolishness from them, you know what you can give them when they're older? You can give them a reproof. Sometimes you need to give them a good old-fashioned chewing out. Sometimes you need to give them a long, boring, you know, emotional, you know, preaching session to them. They hate that. Okay? But if, if they're wise, that will be more effective than a hundred stripes into a fool. You see, stripes, they are not meant to necessarily fix people as much as they are to just punish people for the wrongdoing. The often the stripes they would leave, it wasn't so much to fix them, but it was to warn the simple ones. You know, let's go beat the fool so the simple will see it and beware. They weren't doing that so they could help the fool out. Okay? And let, there, let, there are men out there who are fools. And you know, today we don't beat them, but you know what we do? We throw them in jail. Now, what's worse? I'd, I'd personally rather get a few stripes and go to jail. Now, that would just be me. You know, at least I can still work, provide for my family, live with, be with my family, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's pretty sad when a grown man can't behave himself. It's pretty sad when a grown man isn't willing to go out, get a job, do the things he's supposed to, take care of his family. When you've got to bring a man out and you've got to lay stripes on him, we have a sad, sorry individual. And is that who you've got in your home? Do you have a bunch of dumb fools? 
Are, are, your, are the young men in your home a bunch of fools? you got to beat like fools? Plus, I want to beat it out of them when they're young. And the Bible says it will drive it far from them. And by the time you, they're young adults, it's, it's going to be different. If your 15, your 16-year-old is acting like a fool, spank him like a fool. You know, spank, if he's going to act like he's two years old, spank him like he's two years old. Well, that's humiliating. Well, he should be humiliated. Do you think that was not humiliating when they'd be taken out in the town square? They'd bare their back and they'd whip them like that? You better believe that was humiliating. What are they trying to do? They're trying to teach a fool a lesson. And if you need to spank your teenager, go ahead and spank your teenager. I'm not saying you can't do it, but we'll just remember when you're spanking that teenager, you got to be asking yourself, where did I go wrong? Why do I have a fool in my house? And you better get serious about it. You better figure out what's wrong and deal with it. And I don't want to be dealing with that kind of stuff. And so we took care of that a long time ago. But Proverbs 19:29, judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the back of fools. Stripes are always for the fools. Always for the back. My Bible says that the rod of reproof will drive that foolishness from them. But we've got to do it like the Bible says. You've got to do it early. Don't wait until he's 13 to start in. By then, it's probably too late. You know, who, who knows? So when your son's two, you can't explain him the consequences of disobedience, but you should be able to when they're 12. And I'm not saying 12 is the cutoff age. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I, that's probably far from it. I, and I'm not, I'm not saying you should never spank your teenager. Some need it. But just understand. It's like, man, my son's 16-year-old. i got to spank him like a 5-year-old. You, know, you better start doing some serious praying for that, for that child. You've got a fool there. And if you don't watch it, it's, that fool is going to get a driver's license. And he's probably going to end up getting taken care of by the cops. He's probably going to be getting tased or shot, or thrown, handcuffed and thrown in jail. And you bet, you bet, that's what happens to fools. Because what is the end result of a son that spanking does not work for? Well, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 18. People love to bring this passage up. I got asked about this by uh, these atheists. And they were, doing a, they were doing a video, doing a breakdown of this interview I did with the atheist. And the guy asked me about the you know, stoning or disobedient children. And the atheists love to bring that up. The atheists bring it up, and the stinking trendies bring it up, and the stinking dispensationalists bring it up. Every time you bring up death penalty for the queers, what do they do? What about the disobedient children? And, you know, I, I, I just ask, I, I ask these people, where? Where in the Bible does it say to stone disobedient children? I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't say children. And I, and I mentioned that to the guy. The Bible doesn't say children. It says if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son is what it mentions. And the guys are on there like, it says children. It doesn't say children. Okay? But you can't. these people have repeated that. That's like their main argument. It's the queers, the atheists, and the dispensationalists and the trendies' main argument where they are all completely united. But let's look at this passage and ask ourselves, is he talking about children right here? It says in verse 18, if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, he will not hearken unto them. No, she spank him first. And let, spanking works. Hey, I've only got I've only had two boys spanking work. I, I've never, I've never 
wished. I've never even thought I needed. I never wished. Like, yeah, man, I wish our society spanked, you know, or stoned stubborn and rebellious sons because my boys just aren't listening to me, and I just I'm not allowed to kill myself, so I'll just take them to the. I've never needed that uh, because spanking worked. This is a very rare thing that he's talking about. Sometimes you do. You have that bad seed. You have that person that just won't learn. You have that fool. You have that scorner that just won't learn anything. This is not talking about a young child. This is just talking about a son. This is that young man that I'm talking about. That maybe we would call a teenager. You know, maybe somebody who's even 18 or 19 years old. He's not learned. He's not listening. And let's keep reading in there. It says... I lost my spot. Which verse did I say we're in? Verse 18. It says, Then "Then shall they call his father and his mother and lay hold on him and bring him out into the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, This their son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. You know, how many five-year-old drunkard boys do you know? How many 13 and 14, even 15-year-old drunkard boys do you know? How many of these do you know? They act like we're all, they act like we're teaching, or that they act like the dispensationalists and the trendies. They act like the Bible teach taught in the Old Testament that if your little boy sassed his mom and went and cleaned his room, you're supposed to take him out and stone him. That is the most ridiculous thing. They, they are, these people are not reading their Bibles. They are not thinking. This guy is a glutton and drunkard. This is the fat, lazy video gamer who will not get out of the basement and go get a job. This just stuff in his face with all the food that mom and dad are providing for him. He won't do any work. He is a glutton and a drunkard. He is consuming everything while accomplishing nothing. And they were supposed to bring him out to the city. There is nothing in here that says it was a child. This is the fool. This is the, what the end result should be for that fool who won't learn anything, who won't do what they're supposed to do. And that is rare. I don't know anyone that is like this that was properly chastened as a child. I, I don't know people. I don't, I've never heard of a young man who grew up in the home of the mother and a father who spanked him the way the Bible teaches and was somebody that would even fit this. Okay? That is an extremely rare thing. It could happen, though. I'm sure they're out there. Uh, otherwise, the Bible would not have given these instructions. There's people out there that obviously need this. But, folks, don't you think that would probably motivate you as a parent a little bit if you knew, hey, if I fail in this area, if these spankings don't work, if, my, if this foolishness will leave my son, this is going to be the end result? You know what you're going to do? You're going to put some effort into that child. You're going to give them some instruction. You're going to give them some correction. You're going, to, you're going to try to teach them how to learn from a reproof instead of a strife. A strife. That's what, that's what you're going to do. So you got to, this, you know, this is something that is very rare. And this is not about a little child. This is not about, you know, Cameron sassed his mommy and wouldn't pick up his toys and we're going to go stone him. That is, that is absolutely foolish you know this would be more like tommy if he's throwing a fit you know won't get out of bed won't go get a job won't do any work just wants to stuff his face being a glutton and a drunkard disrespects his mom disrespects me we beat the fire out of him he still won't listen we can't control him we can't handle him so what do we we have to turn him over to the authorities okay there's there's a huge difference there 
And it's like a lot of people, all they've got is spanking. You know, and, and listen, only blowing your top and spanking is a lazy form of parenting. It's, that's just lazy. And listen, tr- trust me, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to spank your kids, all right? They need it. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. They're just born with something in them that just wants to be stupid. And that's what spanking's for. You're, you're going to have to do it. But boy, if you got if your 15, 16, 17 year old still needs a spanking, man, do some serious praying, because you went wrong somewhere. That, that should not be. And you need to understand that Proverbs twenty two six says, "Train up a child the way his go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it." Proverbs or Psalms thirty two eight, "I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with my iron rod." That's what it says. It says, I will guide thee with mine eye. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. I hope you, I'm, I'm trying to train my sons where I can instruct them with my eye, where I can give them a look. You know, I should be able as a dad, when my, if my daughter's messing around, give them a look. Scare them. You know, I shouldn't have to come down to the surface and spank him. I, I, I want to get to a point where I can just, I can tell them. I can give them a command. I don't want to have to put a bridle in their mouth. I don't want to have to put an ankle bracelet on them. You know, I don't want to have to lock them in their room. That's what you do for the fool. Okay? And I'm going to have, I'm going to have to instruct. I'm going to have to teach. It takes time. It takes an effort. And we have a major shortage in churches today of young men and young women, and I believe this is a result of serious flaws in parenting methods. And we've got too many dads who are really good at spouting off at the mouth and just talking about how hardcore they are and declaring their unattainable standards that they're going to enforce on their little children, but they'll never be able to force them on a young adult. They have no idea what they're in for. And so, you know, we've got to understand these kids that we have, they're all heading for that young man, young lady stage. And you better start preparing for it. It's coming, and it doesn't. it's not going to start when they're 18. It's going to start even younger than that. Today, because I think because of the food and everything we're eating, and because with the combination of the food we eat in our country and our culture, it's created a difficult challenge because, one, our kids are maturing physically faster, but they're maturing mentally slower. So now we've got many times kids in the bodies of adults and that creates some real challenges. So you better figure that out, and you better you better adapt in that area. That's going to affect things. So with that, let's go ahead and close the word prayer.